Our sermon this morning is on 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. So open your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26, and we will spend some time uh, thinking through that text together this, this morning. Last week we were in 2 Timothy 2, 1 to 13. First half of this chapter, uh, Paul tells Timothy to be a godly Christian, right? Be a godly Christian, be a good soldier, be a, a diligent uh, farmer, be a disciplined athlete, remember Jesus, remember the gospel, endure suffering now with Jesus so that you can enjoy eternity forever in the future with Jesus. So it's kind of, uh, you know, Paul instructing Timothy how to be godly, how to live the Christian life and persevere now so that you can enjoy eternity with Jesus. The second half of the chapter uh, is, is Paul's instructions to Timothy, but he also kind of broadens the scope, looks out toward Timothy's church, and kind of instructs Timothy on how to instruct the church, and specifically not just how to live the godly Christian life as an individual, but how to... Um, how, to be a, how to be faithful in Christian ministry and how to, to you know, love your neighbor, reach out to your neighbor, proclaim the gospel to your neighbor. So it kind of is, a, is an outward focus as opposed to just an individual, here's how to live for Jesus. It's an outward, here's how to be uh, faithful in gospel ministry. So let's read 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 26, and then spend some time uh, thinking about it. It reads, remind them, Paul speaking to Timothy, remind them, Timothy, of these things. And charge them not, or charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. He must be able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a, to, to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask your blessing on this time. Lord, we ask you, uh, as, as we sit under your, your word, under the authority of your word this morning, Lord, we acknowledge that, that uh, something supernatural happens, right? The Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and and speaks to us and convicts us of sin and points us to Christ and helps us to trust him and helps us to draw near to him. 
We acknowledge that that uh, happens, and we pray and we ask for you to do that in our hearts and in our lives this morning. Jesus, convict us of sin, assure us uh, of, of, our, of our pardon and of the, the salvation that is ours in the gospel, and encourage us and help us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Okay. Verse 14, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which only ruins, or which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Again, up until this point, Paul speaking to Timothy, giving Timothy uh, exhortations and instructions. Don't be ashamed. Uh, share in suffering for the gospel. Be strengthened. Remember Jesus Christ. You can see kind of exhortation and command one after the other in verses one and chapters one and two. They're all Paul speaking to Timothy about what he wants Timothy to do. And here, Paul says, Timothy, this is what I want you to remind the people in your church of. These are the truths, the exhortations, the commands that I want you to relay on my behalf to the people that are in your church in Ephesus. Here's how I want you to shepherd them. Here's how I want you to lead them. And the first thing that I want you to do, the first exhortation that I want to relay to you, that I want you to relay to the people in Ephesus on my behalf is to not quarrel about words, which does no good. We're going to see this word pop up over and over in this text, the word quarrel. Uh, it happens again in verse 23, later in verse 24. It means to fight. Um, in fact, the, the Greek word, it comes from the Greek word make, which means fight or violence, but this is the word uh, logo makeo. So logos, make, logos is word, words, and make is fight. So he's saying, charge them not to get in fights with, about words, fights with words, right? Warn them not to, um, you know, be argumentative. Warn them not to be, you know, puffed up with pride and arguing all the time and defensive about everything and insisting that they're always right about everything. Train your people not to fight. Train them to, uh, to, to listen first and to seek to understand rather than to demand to be heard and, and, you know, demand that they be, you know, heard. Teach them to be, to be careful with their words and kind with their words, right? Teach them not to be mouthing off all the time. Teach them not to, you know, be a person who's always looking for a fight. He's always looking for, uh, you know, he's always looking for an argument, doesn't listen to people, doesn't respect authority, and thinks that he should be the one that everyone's always listening to. And if anyone ever, you know, dares to, to you know, disagree with him, that he needs to put them in their, their place. I mean, if you, if you know, if you can, like, think of in your mind a, a person that kind of fits this description, then you can kind of affirm this, right? You know that that does no, right? If you can think of a person who's argumentative and who is constantly looking for a fight and constantly wants to, you know, uh, insist that they're right and make you admit that they're right, then you know full well that that does no good. And it just ruins, right? It ruins the hearers. Like, no one, no one hears an argumentative, combative person and is, is more likely to listen to them and to submit to what they're saying, right? They might think that's what it is. They might, in their head, they might think, that if I can win this argument, then I will, I'll make these people believe what I want them to believe, and I'll kind of make them think the way I think. But they're, they're doing more harm than good. They're, they're making people less inclined to listen to them and more inclined to ignore them. So Paul says, tell, tell people not to be argumentative, not to be combative, because that, do, that does more harm than, than good. Instead, verse 15, uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. 
as a worker who has no need to be ashamed, but rather rightly handles the word of truth. So the flip way, if 2.14 is saying, don't be a jerk, don't, don't be combative, don't, don't be looking for a fight, then verse uh, 15 is kind of giving you the, the counter, which is uh, on the other, like don't be a pushover, don't be, uh, don't be so timid that you, that you are ashamed of the gospel and you're ashamed of the word of God and you live in fear of confronting people with the word of God. So, so rightly handle the word of truth. Don't be combative, don't be quarrelsome, don't be looking for a fight, but don't be unwilling to take your Bible and use it to confront God's people and use it to, uh, you know, call them to repentance and, and faith as, as necessary. All right, so, so if, you, if you have a friend or a family member or particularly members of your local church that you're in a covenant relationship with, right? A lot of people in the world we don't really have a, a covenant relationship with, so, so there's, you know, little that we can do to actually call them to a certain standard of behavior short of, you know, proclaiming the gospel and kind of inviting them and kind of, uh, you know, pleading with them to come to Christ. But people that are in your local church that you have a covenant relationship with and that we've all kind of binded together and said, we are going to walk with Jesus, and we're going to help one another walk with Jesus. These are the people that you should be uh, should be unashamed and should be willing to handle the word of truth on their behalf. Right? If, if you see someone that is habitually acting in a way that is unloving or unkind or impatient, you should be willing to go to them and open to First Corinthians thirteen. And say love is patient and love is kind. So, so let's talk together about how we can grow uh, in, in love and patience and kindness. Or if you see someone that is unwilling to submit to authority, then you can take First Timothy uh, or First Peter chapter two and say God wants you to submit to authority, even when the authority is not, even when it's bad authority. God wants you to submit to authority. So let's think about how you can grow in that. Right? God wants us to be. Uh, to be kind and not quarrelsome, according to verse 14, but he also wants us to be bold and unashamed and willing to use the Bible to correct and encourage and exhort one another, according to verse 15. Verse 16, he says, uh, beyond that, also I want you to avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. So, so do use your Bible to build people up. Do use your Bible to encourage them. Do use your Bible to correct them as necessary, according to verse 15. But don't use your Bible to you know, manufacture false doctrine and to twist the Bible to come up with, with uh, things that are not true. This is speaking to cults and, and uh, heresies and false doctrine and all kinds of, th- right, right? So people who open their Bible and, and uh, you know, again, manufacture defective, right? they, d- they deny the Trinity. They deny that God is one God who exists in three persons, would be irreverent babble. Or, or they deny penal substitutionary atonement, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that we deserve. Or they deny the resurrection, that Jesus was raised from the dead in victory over Satan and sin and death, right? right? There's irreverent babble where you kind of deny the essential truths of the faith that are clear in Scripture and you kind of come up with weird stuff, you know, come up with weird controversy, right? Spaceships, aliens, whatever, right? All kinds of weird things, right? He says, don't uh, get caught in, don't uh, take, you know, make, make it a point to avoid irreverent babble because it will only, it will only lead to ungodliness and then it's going to spread. It'll, it'll, it'll spread like gangrene, Right? If you, if you start teaching the health and wealth gospel, right, that, that God wants you to be happy, he wants you to be healthy, he wants you to be wealthy, right? So if you get sick, then you just 
you know, rebuke this sickness because it has no place in your body and, and God will be obligated to heal you or, or God wants you to have money. And so just, just, you know, name it and claim it and God's going to shower down financial, you know, resources on you. Right, the minute you start teaching false doctrine like that is the minute that people start to flock to it and it starts to grow and starts to spread like a, like a, a, like a cancerous tumor or like a, a, an infectious skin disease that, that grows and grows. And apparently this was happening uh, with these guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection had already happened. So they were effectively, deny, uh, you know, they were effectively denying the, the, the eschatological resurrection, the, the end times resurrection where we're going to be raised from the dead and live forever with Jesus. This guy, Hymenaeus, we actually, we actually met him back in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, he's with another guy named Alexander, and they are teaching some corrosive doctrine. And, and Paul, Paul says that he handed uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan so that they could learn not to blaspheme. Apparently it didn't work because he's still blaspheming. He has a new, like a, maybe Alexander repented or maybe he moved or died or something, but now he's got a new buddy, Philetus, and now they are teaching, uh, you know, heretical doctrine. They're saying, so there, there was a sense in which the resurrection had already taken place because Jesus died and was raised from the dead. So Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' ascension had already taken place at this, at this time. But these guys were saying that the resurrection, the, the kind of general cosmic kind of universal resurrection of all people, believers' resurrection to eternal life and unbelievers' resurrection to eternal uh, punishment, they're saying that has already happened. So they were kind of denying the reality that God is going to uh, reconcile his people to himself forever, and God is going to, to punish people who live in rebellion against him forever. They're denying that, and they're saying, you know, probably, probably some sort of like hippie, you know, like the resurrection, like the resurrection is a state of mind, right? Like it's, it, dude, like let's get high together and like attain this like higher level of consciousness where we can like realize that we're all already resurrected, right? Like let's, you know, let's like forget the resurrection as a real thing that's going to happen in time and space in the future. And instead, let's realize that the resurrection is like something that we can experience in our minds right now. Something like that, conceivably, is what these guys were, were teaching. And Paul says that's, that's heretical, right? That, that's, that's false doctrine, and it is doing damage to the body uh, of, of Christ, so don't buy it. Uh, it's irreverent babble. Don't buy it. Don't let them uh, sell it because they are upsetting the faith of some. They're doing damage to God's people. And then verse 19, Paul kind of gives the, this like word of encouragement as to you know, how Timothy is to continue. What, what is the driving force behind, uh, behind his Christian ministry? Why, why can he continue to be faithful in this and not lose hope? And it's because God's firm foundation stands. The sovereignty of God. He says, Timothy, be faithful, protect your flock against false doctrine, exhort them, right? Tirelessly teach them not to be quarrelsome and not to get sidetracked with defective theology. Teach them to be bold and to be faithful and to be loving. And, and if that, if you lose hope, if you lose motivation, if you get tired, if you feel like it's a lost cause, if you feel like it's not, like no, no good is coming from your ministry, let me remind you that there is good coming from your ministry because God is sovereign. And God is in control, and God's purposes will stand, 
right? If you feel like all of the evangelism that you're doing and all of the discipleship that you're doing and all of the loving your neighbor and all of the correcting that you are doing in the church, and if your people are prone to share this same sort of despondency where they feel like their ministry is of no value, let me remind you, God is sovereign over it. He's sovereign behind it, and God will not let your efforts be in vain. If you're, if you're tempted to think, you know, what's the point? No one's going to respond. No one ever does. All, that, all of this talk about Jesus does is make people think that I'm some sort of religious fanatic and it's going to do more harm than good. Or, you know, I'm not going to invite people to church because they're not going to come anyway. I know that they're not, so I'm just going to not bother with it. Paul's saying it might feel like your efforts are for nothing. It might feel like your efforts in ministry are falling on deaf ears. It might feel like no one is responding to the gospel message, but God knows who his children are. And so if you're faithful in ministry, God is actively drawing his children to himself. God is actively calling his children to call on the name of the Lord and to name the name of the Lord and to depart from iniquity. So you, Timothy, be faithful. You have your church members be faithful. And don't worry about the results. Trust God with the results. You be faithful and trust that God knows his people and is calling his people to himself and is making them more like Jesus. This is exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 when he says, those that God foreknew before the foundations of the world, those that God has known from before the beginning of time, those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And then there's kind of this link, this kind of domino effect that happens. Each step leads to the next one inevitably and inexorably, right? For those that God predestined, he also called. Those that he called, he also justified. Those that he justified, he also glorified. So our salvation and our perseverance and our remaining with God for all of eternity is something that God himself has ordained and he has planned and he is working out and he is accomplishing. So if you have friends, family members that you are encouraging, that you are proclaiming the gospel to them, or maybe they are Christians, you're discipling them and you're encouraging them to walk with Jesus with you, you should know that God himself is sovereign over that and God himself is going to ensure that his purposes stand and do not fail. Verse 20, Paul says, Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So now Paul's saying, um, I want you to you know, not be quarrelsome. I want you to not be ashamed. I want you to be careful with your doctrine. Uh, I want you to proclaim it and trust in God's sovereignty. And now he's going to say, here's how you as a Christian maintain credibility when you do that. Here's how you as a Christian uh, ensure that people actually listen to you and care what you say instead of write you off immediately as a hypocrite and as someone who doesn't practice what they preach. The way that you do that is by pursuing a godly life. Right, so there's gold and silver, there's wood and clay. When you walk around your house, there's stuff that is clean, stuff that you use to eat with, plates, silverware, cooking utensils, and then there's stuff that's not clean, stuff that you would not use to cook with, like a plunger or a fly swatter, right, or, or a toilet bowl cleaning brush or something, right? So he says, you've got clean stuff, you've got dirty stuff, honorable stuff, dishonorable stuff. When, when you have company over and it's time to eat, you use the clean stuff, you use the honorable stuff, right? You wouldn't be flipping pancakes with a fly swatter or like stirring the, 
stirring your chili or whatever with a plunger, right? You, because that's gross. It's disgusting. That's dishonorable and it's dirty. So, God, so he says, if you want to be used by God for God to accomplish his purposes, if you want, uh, th- then you need to ensure that you are pursuing that which is honorable and that which is clean instead of that which is dishonorable and that which is dirty. God wants to use you to accomplish his purposes. God wants to use you in ministry and he wants to use you to bring other people to himself. And he wants you to pursue godliness and good works so that you'll be set apart as holy, so that you'll be able to accomplish the honorable tasks that God has for you. Which means if you want to have credibility when you talk to your friends about Christ, if you want to have credibility when you talk to your children about Christ, if you want to have credibility when you talk to your fellow church members and try to disciple them, you personally need to be repenting of sin right now. You need to be looking inward in your life and identifying areas where you can grow right now. Right? You know, prior to or, or along with uh, you know, being faithful in ministry is being faithful and attentive to your own heart and your own soul. If you find that you're impatient, then, then as you are proclaiming the gospel to others, you're also working on patience in your own life. If you find that you are not merciful and kind and gentle, then as you are proclaiming the gospel to others, you're working on being merciful and kind and gentle. If you're prone to anger or, or you know, jealousy, if you can't submit to authority, if you're bad with money and you, you're, you're not giving generously, you're not saving wisely, you're you know, spending money that you don't have on stuff that you don't need to impress people you don't like, right? If you're, if you're you know, uh, ba- you know, or if you're you know, not, not a faithful husband, if you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend or addicted to pornography or you know, having inappropriate relationships with people, members of the opposite sex, right? if, there, if there are parts of your life marked by unrepentant sin, then be addressing those now. Be repenting of sin now. Be inviting accountability into your life now so that your life will be set apart for that which is honorable, right? Faithful gospel ministry instead of kind of plagued by that which is dishonorable, which is unrepentant sin. If you want God to use you to accomplish his purposes and use you to bring others to Christ and use you to disciple others toward maturity and use you to shape and mold people to grow in their faith and use you to establish his kingdom, then you have to be repenting of sin and pursuing holiness and practicing the spiritual disciplines, right? Spending time in prayer, reading your Bible, coming to church, worshiping, singing, right? Being a faithful husband, faithful wife, faithful parent, faithful church member. If anyone cleanses himself from that which is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And then in verse 22, uh, Paul kind of continues and he, he, you know, spells out specifically what that looks like or how to go about it. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So, so Timothy, I want you, and I want, I want you to do this, and I want you to teach your people to do this. Flee from sin. Flee from that which is, uh, you know, silly and foolish and immature. Flee from that which is dishonorable. Flee from that which will disqualify you from the good, honorable works that God has called you to. Flee from those things, run away from them, and instead run to and lean into righteousness and faithfulness. 
right? Lean into loving God and loving your neighbor and being peaceful. Repent of sin and selfishness and pursue godliness and pursue Christ-likeness so that you can personally enjoy intimacy with and nearness to God, but also so that you can be used by God to accomplish his purposes of ministry and, and encouraging others. Now, here's what's interesting about this text. Verses 22 through 26 um, all seem to be... Um, restating or, or have parallels to verses that we've already read. It's almost like Paul is kind of uh, reiterating himself or he's kind of referring back to various verses and clauses that he's kind of already established in verses 14 through 21. So, so verse 22 uh, is, is kind of a callback to or, or it is looking back at and restating what we just saw in verses 20 and 21. 20 and 21 say, you know, if, uh, don't uh, give into that which is dishonorable. Instead, uh, you know, lean into that which is honorable so that you can be used by God. And then 22, same thing. Pursue righteousness. Flee youthful passions. Flee from that which is dishonorable and pursue that which is honorable. Righteousness, faith, love, and, and peace. And we're going to see that. I mean, each, each corresponding verse for the rest of this text is going to be a callback uh, for one of the verses that we've already read. So the next one is verse 23. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, which is very similar to what we saw in verse 16. Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into ungodliness. Irreverent babble, ignorant controversies. Paul's kind of reiterating the same point. Beware of false doctrine. Beware of stupid controversies and, and dumb nonsense, right? Beware of people that deny the gospel, the trinity, substitutionary atonement, the resurrection. Don't get bogged down with minor, you know, points of theology and make a huge issue and a huge controversy out of them, right? I mean, in Jesus' day, it was, you know, oh, like, what can you do and not do on, on Sunday. You can't do this, but you can do that. Or make sure that you wash your hands, you know, in this exact way prior to eating a, a meal. Or, you know, so, I mean, there's any number of theological controversies that you can get, you know, kind of bogged down in today. Is the earth 6,000 years old or 6 billion years old? Or, you know, when's the rapture going to happen, right? The rapture's going to happen in May. The rapture's going to happen next year. That this politician's the Antichrist. If you get the coronavirus vaccine, that's the mark of the beast, whatever, right? You know, you'll get it, you'll get left behind like the books and movies talk about, right? So there's all these like weird, bizarre theology controversies. Paul says, don't get caught up in that stuff. Focus in, focus in what is clear in Scripture. Focus in what the Bible presents as the main, that which is of first importance, right? That that God is the king, that God created everything, God created you as your creator, God owns you. He has rights over you. He has authority over you. You've sinned against him through, through passive uh, indifference and through active rebellion. And Jesus came to save you, and he died on a cross for you, and he got up out of the grave for you. And Jesus is inviting you to repent of your sin and trust in him. And if you do, your sins will be forgiven, you'll be reconciled to God, and you'll enjoy his glorious presence forever and ever. Focus on that, remember that, like be careful about that, be diligent to believe that, hold fast to that, and teach that to others, as opposed to, you know, getting carried astray, carried away by foolish, ignorant controversies. That all they do anyway, all these, all these ignorant controversies do is breed quarrels, right? So verse 23 seems to link with verse 16. Verse 24 
uh, seems to link with verse 14, the very first one, right? 24 says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach and patiently enduring evil. The first verse of the text was, charge them not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins hearers. Same exact point. Don't be a jerk. Don't be mean. Don't be argumentative. Don't be always fighting about words, right? Don't be quick to speak and quick to defend yourself. Don't assume that everything is an argument that you have to win all the time. Repent of this posture of, of pride and, and uh, you know, antagonism and combativeness. And instead, uh, do what the next verse, do what verse 24 and 25 says. Instead of being combative and prideful and antagonistic and always looking for a fight, instead, uh, be kind to everyone, Teach them and endure patiently with evil and correct your opponents with gentleness. Right? Which seems to be a restating of what Paul said in verse 15. Right? Present yourself as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, but rightly handles the word of truth. So be bold. Don't be ashamed. Use your Bible to teach others and correct and instruct them. But as you do, be patient and be gentle and don't neglect your responsibilities to, to both you know, instruct and confront, but also love and be merciful at the same time. And then in conclusion, verses 25 and 26, Paul restates the same thing that he, that he said, uh, you know, up in verse 19, which is kind of uh, looking to, trusting in, leaning on, and kind of being rooted in the sovereignty of God. He says, God may perhaps, this is why, Timothy, this is why I want you to be faithful and patient and endure evil and proclaim the gospel and, just, and be patient as people grow around you. I want you to do that because God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. They may escape the snare of the devil. And they may, or after being captured by him, to do his will. Why should you pursue righteousness? Why should you pursue faith, love, and peace? Why should you avoid quarrels and controversies? Why should you teach and endure and correct? Because God is sovereign. And God will use your efforts and he will use your faithfulness to accomplish his will and draw people to himself. God's firm foundation stands. God knows who are his, and God is going to bring them to himself. So you, Timothy, I want you to be a godly Christian, repent of your sin, trust in Jesus, practice the spiritual disciplines, you know, disciple other people, uh, read your Bible, pray, be a faithful spouse, parent, church member, proclaim the gospel, correct false doctrine, disciple people. And the reason why you can do all that and not get discouraged is because God will not let your efforts go in vain. God will not let you, uh, you know, spill your sweat and your blood trying to encourage and trying to disciple and trying to minister to others. God is sovereign, and God is the one who's going to take those efforts and use them to save people. He's going to use those efforts to uh, draw his people to himself. He's going to use those efforts to, to grant them repentance and to lead them to a knowledge of the truth. Right? God, Timothy, you don't save people. God saves people. Right? You don't save people by being smart enough and clever enough and witty enough when you talk to them about Jesus. God saves people through the Holy Spirit indwelling them and changing their heart. So you be faithful. You repent of sin. You avoid controversies. You avoid quarrels. You be kind. You be patient. You be bold. And then you trust God to save people and accomplish their salvation. God is sovereign over all things including 
the salvation and sanctification of the people that you know and love so that you don't have to be, right? You don't have to be sovereign. You just have to trust God. You just have to be faithful to God, and you just have to obey God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your total, complete, utter, comprehensive sovereignty over all things. We thank you, Lord, that that nothing in this world happens apart from your perfect will. We thank you, Lord, that even right now, at this moment, that you are drawing people to yourself, you are granting them repentance, you are uh, enabling them to call upon your name. And Lord, we pray that as we, uh, your people, live in view of your sovereignty, we pray that we could be kind and loving. We pray that we could be bold and unashamed. We pray that we could love one another enough to, to teach and admonish and correct one another from the Bible so that we collectively together can grow in maturity and grow in your grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.